a set of gates. And if you were to approach those gates, you would hear the sounds of, of military drills being practiced. And you would hear the sound of helicopters and the chanting of army squads as they practiced their, their drills. And there's a sign on those gates as you approach the complex that simply say this, pardon the noise, but this is the sound of freedom. I wish somebody this morning uh, who isn't ashamed uh, would just throw your hands in the air, uh, lift up your voice, uh, and declare pardon the noise, uh, but this uh, is the sound uh, of freedom. Somebody that's been set free uh, from drugs, uh, ought to lift your voice. Uh, somebody that's been set oh. free uh, from alcoholism. Jerusalem. The Bible says that they were acting crazy. They had palm branches that they were waving and they had thrown their garments in the road and they were shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna. Blessed is the King that comes in the name of the Lord. And the Bible said that there was some religious folks that looked at Jesus and said, Master, rebuke thy disciples. what the King James says but but I just in the in the in the Fort Myers King James version Jesus looked at him and he said if these hold their peace the rocks would crowd you know what he was saying pardon the noise but this is the sound of see you gotta understand in the crowd that there was probably a woman by the name of Mary of Magdalene who, who didn't have any business being in the presence of Jesus uh, but, but she fell at his feet uh, and broke an alabaster but then there was a woman uh, who was caught in the very act uh, that Jesus said go uh, and see she was probably there and probably Lazarus uh, who had been in a grave for three days uh, and got his life back uh, was probably uh, you know what Jesus was saying? Uh, if you can get them to stop praising me, uh, give it a try. Uh, but they've got a reason uh, to give me some praise. Uh, I wonder if there's anybody in the building uh, that would take about 60 seconds uh, because you've got a reason uh, to praise him this morning. Uh, come on. Somebody shout, praise the Lord. Whoa, 
why my hands are lifted because I'm free that's why my feet are dancing because I'm free that's why I'm running the aisles because I'm free I'm free I'm free tell your neighbor this is what freedom looks like this you're looking at a free person this morning you're looking at somebody that's been set free today you're looking at somebody that God brought out you're looking at somebody are there any free people in the house Remain right where you're at in this posture of worship. How many of you came expecting something great from God? I want to again take one last opportunity to say what a privilege and what an honor it has been to have you here this week in Fort Myers, Florida. Keep an eye out. How many of you feel like we ought to do this again next year? And do it bigger and do it better. And do it with some good air conditioning. I thought I'd get a bigger shout on that one right there. I am so excited about what the Lord is already doing in this service today. And it is our privilege this year to bring to this pulpit on Saturday afternoon a man who uh, really needs no introduction, Pastor Stephen Collins. Is a a gift to the body of Christ. And there is an incredible touch of God upon Pastor Collins' life. God has given him tremendous insight and revelation concerning the lives of young people and their development. He leads a thriving, dynamic church in uh, Birmingham, Alabama. And we want him to come tonight and or this afternoon and follow the Holy Ghost. How many of you came ready for whatever God is ready to do in this house? Would you lift your voice and your hands one more time? And would you fill the room with expectation? Come on, would you fill the atmosphere with the sound of expectation as Pastor Stephen Collins comes to deliver the word today? Keep doing that. Why don't you give God a shout of praise all over the house today? Clap your hands, all ye people, and shout to God with a voice of triumph. Come on, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. If you're thankful for the blood of Jesus, if you're thankful for the cross of Calvary, if you're thankful that your blood bought and spirit filled, somebody give him praise. Somebody lift him up. Come on, lift him up above your problems. Above your trouble. Somebody lift him up. Praise the Lord, everybody. Well, you didn't get the memo that you're a Saturday morning crowd and you're supposed to be tame and reserved and quiet. High five somebody next to you and tell them, I came to have church today. What a great crowd. What a great meeting. What a wonderful moment.
thankful for the opportunity to be here first and foremost to be in the presence of God. It is always a privilege to come together with the people of God and to worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. I'm thankful to have the opportunity today to worship Him. I appreciate Bishop Williams, First Lady Williams, their great leadership. It is a wonderful privilege to be connected to so great a group of apostolic people. And I appreciate the opportunity to come and to bring some new life with us. Where's new life in the house? Our kids come to this meeting whether I'm preaching or not. And uh, we love what God is doing in the church here in Fort Myers and what God is doing in this conference. And my goodness, what incredible preaching we have heard this week. We, I'm just going to tell you, I watched last night as the Holy Ghost impacted everybody in the room. And I'm just, I'm just thankful that I had the opportunity to be in the presence of God that we felt during the praise and worship and during the altar call and during the preaching last night. Brother Phillips, thank you for your ministry, a friend, a close friend. And Brother Miles Young on Wednesday night, on Thursday night, I'm sorry, did an incredible job. We are so thankful for what we have felt in this meeting so far. And uh, what incredible music. Praise. How many of you are thankful for what God is doing in this praise team and these musicians and everyone from the parking lot attendants to the armor bearers? Everything has been absolutely positively first class. The hotel, the basket full of stuff that I had to cram into my suitcase to take home because I can't eat that much stuff in one sitting. But praise God, I appreciate it. And I'm just so glad to be here today. We're going to get right to the Word of God. Praise God. Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1, beginning in verse 14. Give honor to my bishop, Bishop Sutton, who is probably somewhere teaching a Bible study. Praise God. Great man of God. He's poured so much into us over the years, and I appreciate him. I give honor to my my wife today, my family, I love them dearly. They were not able to be here, but they are listening today. Praise God. And I love her and I love my children. Praise God. Genesis chapter 1, verse 14. And the word of the Lord says, And God said, Let there be lights in the firmament of the heaven to divide the day from the night. And let them be, number one, for signs, two, for seasons, three, for days. Four for years, and let them be for lights in the firmament of the heaven to give light upon the earth. And it was so, as God said. And God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. He made the stars also. And God set them in the firmament of the heaven to give light upon the earth and to rule over the day and over the night and to divide the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. We're going to turn very quickly to Ecclesiastes chapter 3. It is in this passage in Genesis chapter 1 that people believe that time started because they see time as being a universal reality, something that exists in the cosmos. But scientists have been searching for millennia to find a single source of time in the physical world. 
But can I tell you today that if you do not know him, you will never find the source of time. You've got to have a relationship with the one who started it all. And so scientists are confused. They don't know him. They're baffled because they can't find a universal time as a single central constant reality. They can see the signs. They can see the turning of the page. They can see seasons and days and years. But they can't find the source of time. The writer Solomon further describes in the passage that we're going to read in Ecclesiastes. These moments of time. To everything there is, everybody say, a season. And a time to every purpose under heaven. It is important to note today that in the equation of God, time equals purpose. If you have time, you have purpose. Everything that is in this room and everything listening on the Holy Ghost radio that is alive, that is existing within time, has purpose. Solomon wanted you to know that, that time equals purpose. There's a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant, and a time to pluck up that which is planted. And this is what God was trying to get Jeremiah to understand and John the Baptist to understand. There are going to be seasons of your life where you have to tear some things down, and there are going to be seasons where you have to build some things up. There are going to be times where you have to uproot some things. And there are going to be times where you have to plant some things. There's a time to kill. Killing has a purpose. A time to heal. A time to break down and to build up. A time to weep. Like we did last night when we travailed. And there is a time to laugh. How many of you are thankful that God brings laughter into your life? I've never been to a church like this church in Fort Myers that likes to have a party when they come to the house of God. I'm thankful for the party. A time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together. A time to embrace and a time to stop embracing. There's a time to get and a time to lose. A time to keep and a time to cast away. There's a time to rend and a time to sow. A time to keep silence and a time to speak. Oh, that's an important one to learn right there. A time to love, a time to hate, a time to war, and a time of peace. What profit hath he that worketh in wherein he laboreth? I have seen the travail which God hath given to the sons of men to be exercised in it. He hath, God, everybody say God hath, made everything beautiful. Now, this his is not capitalized. It says that he hath made everything beautiful in his time. But really a better translation of this is that God hath made everything beautiful in its time. This is not God's time. This is your time. Everybody say, my time. That word time, the word is pronounced eth. It means now. It literally means God hath made everything beautiful in my now. 
literally what this text means. God made everything beautiful in my right now. Now, I know there are some people that came to impact this year, and you say, my life doesn't feel beautiful right now. But can I tell you that in the mind of God, God is not looking at your brokenness. God is looking at what can be in your life. And God is telling a young person here today, you've got to get with the program right now. You can't wait for tomorrow. You can't wait for next week. You can't wait for next month. You can't wait till next year. You've got to find beauty in your life right now I'm here to tell you God has made right now beautiful God has made this day beautiful God has made this moment beautiful don't wait don't wait capitalize on this moment some of y'all are waiting for protocol you say you've already started preaching and you're just taking a text I'm telling you you can have a move of God right now you don't have to wait for the altar call you can get what God wants to give you right now somebody say yeah somebody lift him up somebody next to you and tell them my right now is beautiful this moment is beautiful come on give God a hand clap of praise before you're seated today the writer of Ecclesiastes says here also he hath set the world. The word world is olam, which means eternity. He said, God has set eternity in their heart so that no man can find out the work that God maketh from the beginning unto the end. The writer of Ecclesiastes is telling us today is that your right now, your moment, this season that you are in, is a part of the divine plan of God. That when God formed you, when he shaped you, you were not just a cosmic speck that was disconnected from God, but that God put eternity down on the inside of you so that nobody else around you can see the potential that's locked up on the inside of you. You see, the world is judging you today for what you are. They're judging you for what they can see. But there's something on the inside of us that speaks to us. It's from beginning to end. It's first to last. There's something on the inside of you that is saying, if you could only see the me that you can't see, there's something in me. I know it's not finished yet, but there's something in me that desires expression. There's something in me that desires to be like 
God. It's what the organist feels when they get on the organ after they've been in the prayer room and they sit down to play and the organist understands maybe there's somebody else in the universe that can play the organ better than I can. But I was just in the presence of God and there's something on the inside of me that wants, I want you to feel what I feel. I want you to see what I see. I want you to know what I know. It's the challenge for the preacher that he's going to stumble all over his words trying to get across to you what he's trying to get across. But there's a place that he's been with God and that place has changed him. And when he gets up to preach, he's just trying to get across to you what eternity feels like, what destiny feels like, what hope. I'm, I'm telling you there's somebody here today. You came here without hope, but this preacher's trying to preach hope into you. There's more on the inside of you than what the world can see. And God is trying to pull it out of you today. There's, there's eternity on the inside. And, and man around us, humanity cannot see the plan and the purpose of God in us. But you see, God can see the end from the beginning. And this is how God can call Gideon, the mighty man of valor, while he's still hiding from the Midianites. Because Gideon has eternity locked up in him. But in that moment, his situation's not beautiful. Everybody else, in, you, see, you see, if Gideon had had a prophet... If Gideon had had somebody to speak to him from the eternal, they would have seen in Gideon what God saw. But in that moment, there was nobody telling Gideon what he could be. Oh, they were, they were just defining life by the pathology. They were defining life by the problem. But there was something in Gideon that said, if I could ever get unhooked, if I could ever get unhinged, if, if I could ever get unlocked, then I would do great things for God and the angel of the Lord came to that young man and said Gideon thou mighty man of valor praise God God says I'm not going to speak to what is I'm going to speak to what I created you to be I'm going to speak to the promise I'm going to speak to the potential I'm going to speak to what I, because see, God sees the end from the beginning. God doesn't just see my, my family problems, but God sees what I can be. If I could ever buy into God's eternal plan, if I can ever get my time in God's time, if I can ever align with the plan and the purpose of God. See, nobody else can see that part of you. That's why you need a pastor in your life. That's why you need a shepherd in your life. That's why you need an evangelist to come and tell you, baby, you're not everything you can be, but I'm going to preach to what can be. I'm not going to hyper-focus on what is not. God put eternity in your heart. But nobody else can see the full spectrum of what can be from start to finish. But I'm preaching to a generation here today and I'm telling you that when your time is up, 
What will be manifested if you don't waste your time and you don't lose your purpose will be the most beautiful version of yourself that you can ever imagine. Praise God. Praise God. I want to preach today on this subject. The time is now. It's not, it's not yesterday. It's not tomorrow. It's not what will be. But I'm going to live for God today. I'm going to actualize today. I'm going to go back to my church today. I'm going to witness to the flight attendant today. I'm going to teach a Bible study today. You see, no great culture thought about the passing of time in exactly the same way. You can be seated. I've got a ways to go. Babylon, Egypt, Mesopotamia, ancient Greece, they all measured time differently. Throughout human history, the way that civilization saw time differed from culture to culture. And as civilizations advanced, methods for chronicling time became more and more precise. We have today, we have arrived at the Gregorian calendar and the 24-hour day and the 62nd minute. And uh, uh, the, the, we, we have arrived at the way that we compartmentalize time and how we put it together. We have learned to mark time effectively. But in every place under the sun, time is different. And scientists are baffled by this. They acknowledge that there is no place in the universe where time exists in the exact same way. This subject today is not a simple subject, and I'm not going to exhaust the subject by any means, but I would like, I would like for you to leave today, number one, impacted by the Holy Ghost, but number two, I would like for you to leave with a concept of time and how it works. Einstein was the first to realize that space and time are connected in a way that makes the passage of time relative to the individual and not just to the universe. Celestial bodies in scripture were given to us to mark the passage of time. The original language literally means... The celestial bodies were given to us in order to mark the calendar. How many of you have a calendar today? Young person, if you don't have a calendar, you need a calendar. You need to get organized. You need to get your life together. You need to be intentional. You need to have a to-do list every day. That's good preaching all by itself. So we are marking the calendar. But time is not a static reality. It's highly individualistic. Now we understand because we're apostolics that macro time exists within the eternality of God. God has a plan for humanity. And all of time exists within that plan, within the logos of God, within the structure that God has composed. Macro time exists in God who is the source of all things. So if you don't know God, you haven't found the source of time. But what scientists understand is they understand that if you live in China, 
we say right now. Everybody say right now. It's daytime. But if you live on the other part of the world, right now is not daytime. And you say, well, yes, reality is static. It is emphatic. It is definitive. And I would say, well, no, if you're in China, it's not daytime. It's nighttime. It's a different time. And so scientists understand that there is a component of time that is connected back to the individual, that the individual and our orientation with time makes time subjective. And they know this. And so in their study of time, they are trying to answer some of the questions. So if you live in California today, anybody from California? If you live in California, your time is three hours uh, later than our time or earlier than our time. And so we're on a different, we're on a different clock today from those who are in California. I'm from Birmingham, and so it's, it's an hour earlier in Birmingham now. So we started church today at 12 o'clock. But my wife was listening. She started church at 11 o'clock. So if I said church started today at 12 o'clock, she would say, no, hold on just a second. Church started for me at 11 o'clock. And so scientists are trying to figure this time business out. And, and so the question is, the question is, what time is it really? What is real time? Is time California time? Is time China time? Is time Birmingham time? Now, Brother Williams, we have a tendency to think that Birmingham's the center of the universe. But there are some people who would argue that and say, no, Fort Myers is the center of the universe. Or JS is the center of the universe. Or Sacramento is the center of the universe. But the question is, where is the origin of time? Where does it begin? So this has puzzled thinkers for millennia. But it's actually weirder even than that. If you set a very highly calibrated clock, now there are some clocks that are not like your watch. I know you, you think you have a nice watch. But there are some highly calibrated clocks that scientists use to measure time. And if you take a very highly calibrated clock and you put it on a shelf, and you take another highly, same clock, same manufacturer, same high calibration, and you put it down on the ground, and you just let time pass, and you program each one at exactly the same time, set one on the pulpit, set one on the floor. If you let enough time pass, the one on the shelf will tick at a faster rate than the one on the ground. So this is not just spatial conversation in terms of some other place on the, on the ground. But it's actually dimensional in this vertical experience. It's, and so, well, is, is this time right? Or is the one on the ground right? Well, that's what scientists are trying to figure out. That's the question I'm posing to you. Who wants to answer the question? Which time is correct? Which one is it? Is it Fort Myers time? Is it Birmingham time? If you set one even higher up, say you set a highly calibrated clock up on a mountain and you set another down in a valley, the one on the mountain will be much faster than the one down in the valley. So not only is time different in locations on the globe, but it's different at different elevations. So scientists continue to try and figure out the puzzle. They have even discovered that a plant that is growing on the ground and a plant that is growing up on the mountain are going to grow at a different rate. They're 
And see, some of y'all think it doesn't matter where you go to church. Some of y'all think it doesn't matter who your pastor is. Some of y'all think you can grow wherever you are. I'm here to tell you, you can grow, but it matters where you go to church. It You got to get up to a high place. I said, you got to get up to a high place. So scientists have discovered that a plant on the mountain is going to grow faster than one down in the valley. Why is that? Because gravity is holding people back. Now let me show you what the greatest form of gravity is right here. You ready? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands in sleep, and your want is going to come upon you like an armed man. The greatest effect of gravity on an apostolic young person is laying in bed playing a video game, wasting time, and wondering why you're not growing. Wondering why nothing's happening in your life. First thing you got to do is set an alarm clock and get up out of bed and get up to a high place. Get hungry for the things of God. Get hungry for a move of God. You say, I want to grow. If you want to grow bad enough, you got to get up out of bed. You got to get up in the morning. You got to make yourself a little. That crowd you keep running with is holding you back because they're trying to convince you that you can listen to Biggie Smalls and you can listen to Tupac and you can listen to Beyonce and then come to church and shout just like they shout in the club but you ain't growing you're not becoming you're not actualizing Why you can't get the victory. Why you can't live in dominion. Why you can't walk in your high places. You got to get a little higher up. That's what Jesus did in Luke chapter 6 when the Pharisees were trying to kill him. He was dealing with haters. He was dealing with naysayers. He was dealing with gravity. And the Bible said that Jesus got up and went apart from the crowd up into an exceeding high mountain. I'm here to tell you if you want to walk in dominion, you've got to learn to separate yourself from the crowd. You've got to learn to separate yourself from a negative peer group. You've got to learn to walk out the doors of your I know your mom and daddy may be dysfunctional, but you've got to learn to get up and go up to the house of God and build yourself a prayer life. Connect yourself to the man of God and say, man of God, take me higher. Take me higher. Anybody want to go higher? Praise God. That's what God does with Moses. He takes him up on the mountain of God. 
The people didn't want to go there. There were thunderings and shakings and it was chaotic and it was lonely. But when he came off of the mountain of God, he had a word from God in his hand and his face was illuminated. He was shining so bright that the people didn't even want to look at him. Can I tell you what the apostolic movement needs? It needs some musicians who know how to go up on the mountain with God. It needs some Bible study teachers that know how to go up on the mountain with God. It needs some worshipers, not who learned their dance in the club, but who learned it on the mountaintop with God. Praise God. He was different than the nation, but he couldn't lead them if he fell behind. We need apostolic young people in leadership. But can I tell you, we don't need you fitting in with your peer group. We need you standing out. You know where we get the word outstanding? Outstanding means to stand out from the crowd. Before you're ever going to be outstanding, you have to learn to get up to a high place. Praise God. All of that expedited his development and growth, his progress, his faith. It prepared him in ways he would never experience down in the valley. So scientists have concluded there is no central time in the universe. There are many books written on the subject from guys like Carl Ravelli and Stephen Hawking and others. This is the fundamental idea behind Einstein's general theory of relativity. He further concluded that time is affected by speed of travel. If you have a friend and they lived four light years away and you looked at them through a telescope, everybody say right now, and you saw what they were doing, because if you could see Bishop Sutton right now, he's somewhere teaching a Bible study, but if he was four light years away and I was looking at him through a telescope and I saw him teaching that Bible study, if I looked at Brother Williams and said, Bishop Sutton's teaching a Bible study, that's not happening right now. That's happening four years ago. <laughs> you feel stretched yet? You know, you would actually be lying if you said he was over there teaching a Bible study in that moment because your perception of now is different than the actual reality of now. So scientists have concluded that time isn't a cosmic reality, but it is an individual reality. So when we say now, we aren't speaking of anyone else. I am, as a matter of fact, if I tell you that I'm having revival right now, if I say we are having revival right now, by the time the words get from my mouth to your ears, it's no longer now. So what scientists have concluded is that reality is individualistic. You see, I can't speak for you today. I cannot determine what your reality is going to be. At some point, the reality that God has set in motion has to be the reality that you 
appropriate for yourself. At some point, what Brother Jacob Phillips preached and what Brother Miles Young preached and what Brother Randy Williams preached has to become what you say out of your mouth. It can no longer be that he said, I'm going to be great in the kingdom of God. But it has to go from the head to the mouth. And it has to be, I am going to be everything that God has for me to be. That cosmic reality has to become a personal reality. It's not enough to say Bishop Sutton is a Bible study teacher. It's not enough to say Vesta Mangan is a prayer warrior. But at some point, it's got to come out of your mouth. I'm not, I'm not interested in memorializing the past. I'm not interested in talking about Lee Stone King and Billy Cole and the Great Crusades. But at some point, their reality must become my reality. Time is for purpose. God put all of the other stuff as a backdrop. Everything else. The reason you have time today. You know, when God made you, he set the timer. As a matter of fact, I say it like this. That the reason that scientists cannot see time, the reason they're still searching for it, is that time was built up into the plan of God for creation. That's why the Bible could say that Christ was the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. What that means is that the plan of God started with Adam. And when God made Adam, God set the timer. And the Bible said that when the fullness of time had come... God sent forth his son made of a woman. Why did he do that? To redeem all of us so that we can receive the adoptions of sons. Science is still looking for time. But time was bound up in Christ. And because they don't know him, they can't find time. You see, God had already set the timer. The macro time of God, everything started moving forward until five, four, three, two, one. Now, that was the moment, the central event of human history. Everything before was moving forward to then, and everything after was pointing back to them. So macro time was in him. Fullness of time. Perfect time. You know, that's why Jesus said, I only do the things I see my Father in heaven do. He never got distracted. He was focused. He was intentional. He didn't play video games. He didn't build houses. He didn't have video games, but he didn't play them anyway. He didn't. Well, he was outside of time, so maybe he could have played video games. But time was in him. That's the macro time. But what about the micro time? What about the now time? Well, we are complete 
in him. We were formed in his image and after his likeness. The only way that we can figure out what to do with our life is by getting in Christ. So when we get the Holy Ghost and we get baptized in Jesus' name, we move from outside of the plan of God to inside of the plan of God. And now everything begins to make sense. My life didn't make sense before. I couldn't get it together before. But I got in Christ. And now I'm a new creation. Now I know where time is. You say, what time is it? Well, it's divine time. Jesus prayed this prayer. He said, Father, let them be one with me. You, you think your doctrine of the oneness, you've already heard it this week, but you think your doctrine of the oneness is just about the one God. But he said, let them be one with me as I am one with you. That was his prayer for you. So that you could get your time, your clock, synced up with his clock. So, now, so that everywhere you go, it's now. Everywhere you go, it sings up to God's clock. You say, when's revival coming? Now. Why? Why now? Because I'm here. We're going to have a move of God today. Why? Because I'm preaching. See, you want to call that ego. That's not ego. That is an understanding of who I am in Christ. So when I touch the microphone, we're going to have a move of God. Because right now is the only time. Synchronized time. Oneness with God and with the universe. Understanding my purpose and my plan and my destiny and the thing that God wants to do in my life. You see, Jeremiah was called of God. John the Baptist was called of God. But you know who else was called of God? Stephen was called of God. God told Jeremiah, he said, before I formed you in the belly, I knew you. How do you know a non-existent thing? Because the essential, the eternal part of your orientation comes from God. God had fellowship. You, you see, there's a desire on the inside of you that nothing you've tried can satisfy. And that is your eternal nature. It's the spirit of man that God put in man that informs who and what we are. He said, Jeremiah, before you ever started, I knew you, I had fellowship with you, and I ordained you to be a prophet. That means you had a prenatal fellowship. You had a prenatal. You say, well, I'm not ordained as a preacher. 
It's okay, you were ordained before you took shape. All an ordination service is, is to bring heaven's reality into the visible world. You were already ordained. You were already redeemed. You were already sanctified in the plan of God. And so everything else you're doing is just a waste of time. John, before I formed you, I knew you. I ordained you. You see, that's why Elizabeth could come into the room where Mary was, babies in the womb. Mary and Elizabeth could just cross paths. And what was on the inside of Elizabeth could resonate with what was on the inside of Mary because time was bound up in what was on the inside of Mary. And when John came into the presence of Jesus, the Bible said that the baby leaped. See, you were dancing before you ever came to church. You... This is just formally acknowledging what was happening in the invisible world. You know what happened? John was on the inside of Elizabeth. And he just crossed paths with Jesus. Jesus was in his embryonic state. He wasn't fully grown yet. He hadn't become a man yet. But the essence that was on the inside of him was the fullness of the Godhead. Because the Bible says that all the fullness of the Godhead dwelt bodily in the man Christ Jesus. For unto us a child is born, a son is given, and the government's going to be upon his shoulders. His name's going to be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting lasting father and the prince of peace John had never been to Bible college John had never been ordained as a preacher John didn't have his eschatological perspective framed but John said I don't know what that was all about but the essence in him and the essence in me started talking started moving started fellowshipping came into alignment That moment became now for John. That was his essence, responding to the essence in the man, Christ Jesus. That was perfect alignment. You say, how long would John have? Well, that's a good question because time is connected to purpose. John had a purpose, and because he had a purpose, God gave him time. You don't have time outside of purpose. Psalm chapter 78 says about the sons of Ephraim that they turned back in the day of battle. They had bows. They had arrows. They had seen the plagues on the Egyptian. They had received provision from God. But the entire passage of Scripture is about how they turned away. They, they, when the time came to fight, they said, you know what? We're not going to fight. 
But you know what the, the curse of Ephraim was? That the entire time they were in the wilderness, they kept on making excuses. They said, well, we don't have bread. Well, we don't have water. We don't have this and we don't have that. And God was trying to get them to understand, I'm taking you into a land that is flowing with milk and honey. Stop harping on what you don't have and learn to serve me faithfully in this wilderness. But they made excuses. The whole chapter is about how they made excuses. And you know what it says at the end? That God took their increase. God took the blessing that was supposed to flow into their life. And he turned it over to the caterpillar. You see, they were dimensionally higher, but because they would not take dominion, God subjected them to the lower dimensional thing. He said, I've got a blessing for you, but if you won't pull back the bow, and if you won't shoot the arrow, you're never going to walk in that dominion. I'm here to tell an apostolic generation today, you've got to be willing to shoot your shot when you get the opportunity. You've got to be willing to do right now what you need to do to walk in the fulfillment later. Because if you don't... God's going to take all that increase and all that blessing and all that promise. He's going to turn it over to the caterpillar, the palmer worm, the canker worm, the locust. So they didn't go in. They didn't experience it. That generation died off. Because time is connected to purpose. We don't get to choose the purpose. God chooses the purpose. We're walking in time, trying to find orientation. I don't know where you are today. I read in my Bible that there was a man by the name of Stephen. There came a point in the church where the widows and the orphans of the Grecians were being neglected, and they chose out seven men. They were not card-carrying preachers. They were not ordained to be ministers of the gospel. They were just ordinary young people. But there was some criteria. They had a good report. They were full of faith and wisdom. What that means is they were just doing what they knew to do in the moment. They weren't looking for a platform. They weren't looking for a promotion. They were being faithful in their season. They weren't allowing everybody else around them to define what that season would be. But they were calling those things that were not as though they were. They were pulled out. They were isolated. They were separated. For what? wait tables and Stephen got the opportunity to serve his community he got the opportunity to do a menial job in the church shine the bishop's shoes take out the trash wait tables with an apron on don't they know who I am Don't you know who I am? I'm called to God. Yeah, I hear you. Oh, there's some lessons in that early framing. It's not your purpose.
It's God's purpose. And the only reason I have time is because God's got a plan. John the Baptist had to come to grips with the fact, I must decrease so that he can increase. You know what that was all about? It was about one purpose. Now, I've heard that passage used to talk about ministerial transition, but I don't think that applies to ministerial transition because John had the most, one of the most distinct ministries in human history. His single job was to be a forerunner for Christ. And so as Christ began to emerge, John's entire ministry was aligned with Christ. So as soon as Christ became visible because of John's ministry, John had to be willing to disappear off the scene because it wasn't about John's time. It it was about God's time. John's purpose was connected to God's time. I was talking to Brother Jermaine Irvin yesterday, and he said, you know what my prayer is every day? God, don't let me have preached my best sermon yet. Don't let me have taught my, my best Bible study yet. Don't ever let me get to the point where I'm satisfied in yesterday's victory. Because as soon as I'm satisfied in yesterday's victory, then I've already lost the battle. God's going to find somebody else because of the increase of his government and his peace. There shall be no end. Stephen was connected to God's purpose. He had no idea. You know, we all want to be picked. Anybody ever been picked last on the basketball court or the volleyball court? That's a bad feeling. I hate that feeling. It'll put a little bit of fight in you, though. Like, not next time. I don't care if I can't shoot. I'm going to be the scrappiest person. They're going to pick me. I'm going like, to be like the Dennis Rodman on the court. I'm just going to be fouling everybody. I'm going to be jumping up and getting rebounds. I'm going to... In that way. In that way. Stephen got picked. And we shout on Sunday night because we got picked. I'm going to get my blessing. I'm going to get my victory. I'm going to get my miracle. That choosing aligns Stephen with God's purpose. And now time just started to unfold in his life. Things began to fall into place. Opportunities started coming. Opportunities for what? Opportunities to serve. He went out from that position of servanthood and began to make an impact on his world. He used that position of serving with an apron, not a suit. With an apron, he used it as leverage to make a difference. Can I tell you that everything God has for people to do in the church is leverage? Taking out the trash is leverage. Washing the windows is leverage. Cleaning toilets is leverage. Teaching a Bible study is leverage. It's a place to stand and a big fulcrum to move my world. And Stephen said, I got picked. I got picked. I got picked. And I'm going to take advantage of it. I'm going to make a difference in my world. I'm going to be a prayer warrior. I'm going to be a voice of wisdom. I'm going to be a help everywhere that I can. I'm going to take care of widows and orphans. And you know what happened? 
Miracle signs and wonders started to unfold in Stephen's life. Stephen was never going to preach peak. If you want it, it probably ain't going to happen. He was never going to stand in the spotlight like I'm standing right now. He was never going to touch a microphone. It just wasn't going to happen. He was never going to lay hands on someone and they received the Holy Ghost. Not in the way you think about preachers working the altar. Stephen was going to get one shot. As a matter of fact, the only time we ever find him preaching, he's preaching to an entire crowd. And he never even got an amen. Nobody ever agreed with his message. Nobody ever embraced him. He didn't get that post-preaching celebration sitting around the table where everybody's saying, man, that's the best I've ever heard you. That was incredible. God moved. None of it. He never had time to call Jay Irvin and get a custom suit made because he had that engagement. It wasn't going to happen. He got picked. He was chosen by God. got one shot to preach his best stuff. One opportunity. He didn't have time to prep. He didn't have time to get his notes together. He stood surrounded by people who would never agree with him. He would never hear the Apostle Paul Say, I'm sorry. He would never stand in the moment with tears running down his face as he was reconciled to his brother. He had one shot to shoot. And he shot his best shot. He wasn't going to travel across Asia Minor. He wasn't going to preach thousands of sermons that would become epistles. He was going to preach one sermon. And nobody would ever say amen. And in that moment, in his one moment to do what he was predestined to do, the alignment, the synchronicity was so profound. That while he was laying on the ground, surrounded by blood and rocks from people who hated his guts, he looked up and saw the heavens open. And above him, in perfect alignment was the man Christ Jesus. Stephen, you only had one shot to shoot. 
I've never preached a sermon and saw the heavens open. He had one sermon to preach. He had no idea how the, the immortal words that came out of his mouth would re reverberate throughout time. When he said, lay not this sin to their charge. He had no idea how those words would synchronize. With Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He had no idea how those words would synchronize with you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. One shot. Shot his best shot. Time stood still. Perfect alignment happened over the life of the man of steel. Because he did not despise right now. This Brother Williams, they used to accuse me back in the day of preaching every service like I was preaching peak. My friends used to joke, playing video games on the night we're supposed to be preaching. You want to play? No. No. I don't want to play. All I've got is right now. All I've got is this one moment. I'm not trying to shoot the future shot. I'm trying to shoot this shot. And I don't know who's going to be here in this youth class, in this Bible study. I don't know what destiny's on the line. I don't know how long I have. I don't know how many sermons I'll preach. I don't know how many messages I have in me. All I know is I have this one shot, one service, one prayer meeting, one Bible study. Shoot it like it's your last shot. That's why the Bible said don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Because you don't know if you're going to wake up the next morning. And you don't want to go out like that with unforgiveness in your heart. Get it right today. There's no other moment but now. Young people fighting. How much time do I have? No, no, no. You got to make time work for you. You see, the enemy understands. If he can steal your purpose... You'll waste your time. That's why he questions identity. If you are the son of God, he knows. If I can get you to question your purpose, I can rob you of your time. Why are you waiting until tomorrow to teach a Bible study? 
Why? Every time you hear somebody talk about it, you push it ahead to the future. Don't wait. Don't wait. Do it now. We have now. Musicians, you can go ahead and start playing. There's destiny in this house. In Joel chapter 2, it's the promise of the Holy Ghost coming. Israel had wasted their time. You know, it's, it's ironic that one of the most prominent apps in culture today is called TikTok. TikTok. Hey, you're wasting time. Or how about this one? Instagram. The measure of moments. Why? If you teach one Bible study and you see the revelation wash over somebody, it'll reprioritize your whole life. Ernest Hemingway penned a novel called For Whom the Bell Tolls. You know, what's interesting is in Judeo-Christian culture, in early communities, the church sat at the center of the city. And at the top of the church was a clock. And right underneath the clock was a bell. There's something in our collective consciousness that understands that the bell is connected to the clock. In that narrative, the statement is made in a poem, do not ask for whom the bell tolls, because the bell tolls for thee. Every hour on the hour, as the clock clicked over to the hour, the bell would ring. It was orienting the community to the idea that at the center of the community was the church and at the center of the church is time. And we're reminding you that another hour's passed. But the second function of the bell is the bell also notified the community when somebody else's life had expired. And when instinctively living in the community, you knew that the bell tolled, but it wasn't the top of the hour. You looked at your pocket watch and you said, oh, the, the bell, the bell has sounded. Who did it sound for? And we would try to figure out who in the community had expired. But the poem says, don't ask for whom the bell tolls. The bell tolls for thee. Tick, tock, tick, tock, ding, ding, 
God has already set the clock. Let's stand. God has already set the clock on the inside of you. God has already set the clock on the macro plan of God. But God is calling young people here today to come down and make a decision to say, I am going to synchronize my life with the clock of heaven. I'm coming today to make a decision that I'm not waiting till tomorrow. But I'm making a decision today that I am going to maximize the opportunities that are in front of me. I'm going to take advantage of the moments that God has given to me to make a difference in my world. Every hand lifted right now. Come on, I want you to connect back to what the preacher preached last night. And I want you to find the oh in your spirit and begin to talk to God from the deepest part of your person and say, God, I've got one shot. I've got one life. I have one moment. And I'm not waiting for tomorrow. I'm living today. Don't ask. Don't look around today at who else is going to respond. Don't look around today at who else is going to respond to the Holy Ghost. But the bell is ringing for you today. The clock is ticking for you today. God has a plan for this generation.
what I want us to do in this house. There is a divine moment of timing in this building right now. I want everybody under the sound of my voice, under the auspices of the anointing that's in this house to move from your seat as close as you can to this altar this afternoon. Come on, if you're still in the back, if you're standing, sitting, wherever you're at in the building, I want you to move as close as you can to the front of this house for the next few moments. There is a moment in this house that I do not believe is trivial today. I want you to hear me this moment. As Pastor Collins was preaching the word of the Lord, my spirit was echoing the words of Jesus in Luke 19 where he chides the people of God and he said your posture never changed you were relaxed you were laid back there was no sense of urgency he said this because you knew not the time of your visitation you didn't understand the now moment. And I'm talking to some people in this building. This is not just another Saturday impact conference. There is an eternal moment that has synchronized in this house today. There is a divine synchronicity with this service, with this altar call, and things that are eternal. And it is impendent upon some people in this building, uh, lifting their hands uh, and saying, God, whatever I've got to do right now, uh, I've got to get synchronized uh, with your purpose in my life. Uh, God, whatever i got to come on, uh, whatever I've got to change, uh, whatever has to move, uh, whatever needs to be adjusted, uh, whatever needs to be set aside, uh, I've got to be synchronized. Uh, come on, lift your hands. You don't have another prayer meeting to wait uh, you don't have another church service to wait for. You don't have another conference to go to. There is a moment right here. Come on, don't miss. Don't miss your moment of visitation. 